Come on. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Chris Kwaja. Chris, are you ready to do this? I was born ready, George. Let's do it. Excellent. Let's do this. Chris is an entrepreneur. He is an investor. He is the author of How to Stash That Cash, the Ultimate Liquidity Portfolio. I'm excited to have you on. Chris, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Great. So just quickly on the personal life, that's probably the most normal part of me. Um, I did grow up in Canada. I was the uh, child of two immigrants from the Caribbean and randomly a year before I would normally have graduated, applied to school in the U.S. and got in. So I ended up going to Stanford 2,500 miles away, which was a great yet scary decision. And once I got to California, I've tried to pull myself away a couple times, but I've ended up settling here just north of San Francisco, and I've got a wife and three little boys. So that's the that's the most standard part of my life. On the career slash how do I occupy my time side, uh, it's split depending on the day between a business called BigChill.com, which is an online e-commerce business that I own with some partners. We do essentially designer-style appliances for the home. I invest heavily in real estate. Uh, I've heard you have guests on here who said they've done everything in real estate. I could probably compete with that because I've literally <laughs> everything from mobile home parks to high-end home development to owning, you know, drug rehab centers. So really wide variety of skills there. I am interested in personal investing, so that's what my book is about: how to stash that cash and just some discussions on what I learned in my many years on Wall Street and. Then I also do volunteer for different organizations, ranging from uh, personal development, mindfulness organizations. I also help out with some hospitals locally in the area. But mostly I'm guided by my passions and what really seems to be making the most difference and most aligned with me on a given day. So it's a lot of different things, but I really uh, attack them or or tackle them or or work on them based on really what's most aligned with me at that time and what can serve as the greatest good at that time. Got it. Well, I certainly appreciate that. So, so you said that you grew up in Canada, some two thousand miles away from Northern California. What? Uh, I'm not. I'm not good at uh, maps or distances. What uh, city was that, or what? 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 What area? Sure. So I was born in Montreal, but I grew up in Toronto. Okay. Um, so yeah, Toronto's just you know major major metropolitan center there, East okay. Coast. Perfect. So that's that had to be. Obviously, quite an experience moving all the way across the country to or a, a, to a to a different country, uh, and then you spent time on Wall Street. How do you how how do you make decisions like that, and how how has that informed your professional work? You talked about following your passions, but I mean, 
you evaluate an opportunity and how, how, how do you make decisions? Sure. So to be honest with you, how I made that decision is probably different from how I make decisions now in some respects. Back then, I think I was pretty focused on, you know, what I would call brandability, right? So Stanford had this great name. Um, it sort of seemed exotic. And honestly, I wasn't very good with the cold weather in Canada. Sure. And when I visited Stanford, it was February, it was 75 degrees, and I saw women tanning in bikinis in the, <laughs> in the, in the quad when I just left, you know, four feet of snow. So, I, you know, I, I can say that there was there were some good elements of that decision. I obviously knew of its reputation. Uh, Stanford was also strong in areas that I wanted to pursue, which is psychology and economics. But beyond that, I don't think that was as rigorous a decision. How I make decisions now, look, it's, I think it starts with, um, logic, obviously, and you know, there are a lot of things we can talk about with logic and I'm really interested in the flaws people make in decisions, if that's something you want to talk about. But I really try to have a rigorous logic and kind of a base principles logic. Um, again, we can talk about that in some detail, but I also think it's really important that decisions line up with who you are in your, your essence. So a lot of my personal growth work has been around figuring out who I am and how I can best offer that to the world and how I can best be a version of myself. And that ultimately is some version of playing to your strengths, right? So I think a lot of decisions I make based on, hey, how how is this reflecting who I am at my best? Um, I also always like to check in with my gut after I've done all my thinking. So it's a little bit of a head, a heart, and an intuition. But if something passes all three of those, and it still feels like a hell yes, then that's typically a good decision. Now, yeah. except for a decision from good outcome, because you can make bad decisions with good outcomes and good decisions with bad outcomes. So, um, but a good decision is usually one that feels good after and aligned. Appreciate that. Well, I think that that's all excellent stuff. Um, we're, we're, we're living in a time when there's a lot of talking around values and a lot of talking around authenticity and, I think that those those are things that we all want to live and that we all want to be. The question of you, you figured out who you were, uh, mm. I, I think, is is probably easier said than it is done. How oh. how how did you figure that out for yourself? Sure. So to be honest with you, it's a process, right? And it's a process. I think we're all undergoing at different speeds at different times in our life. The one thing that I would say is consistent. I can first tell you how how it worked for me, how it was sparked for me and the things that I'm doing with that. But I think there are some general principles with regard to how I did it. There is an organization called the Heroes Journey Foundation that works on the principles of Joseph Campbell's Heroes Journey. So Joseph Campbell was this mythologist who looked at all the various myths and stories of personal change going back to, you know, Gilgamesh and, uh, you know, it, all the way up to the Matrix, the movie, right? Yeah. And, and it turns out if you're a screenwriter, you always learn about this because this underlying story, which is called the hero's journey, and it's really broken into about seven or eight steps. It's a very structured journey, um, is, is really, it kind of rings true at some gut level, some almost instinctual level. So the hero's journey foundation, they, put you on a mountain in West Virginia, and they take you through these steps. 
And it was the most powerful thing I'd ever done. I mean, it was almost like I felt like I'd woken up from life when I did this. And uh, really, the process involves things like, look, if you want to make a big change, typically you have to take leave of home. And home is defined, you know, broadly. But if you think of, uh, you know, a movie like The Matrix or a movie like Star Wars, usually people leave their comfort zone. In The Matrix, it's triggered by a feeling that the life they're in just isn't quite working. So the hero's journey process involves this taking leave of home and then these various steps of self-discovery, hitting a point of no return. Typically in the hero's journey, you encounter a new group of people to support you in your new way of being. So it sounds complicated, but the general principle to the hero's journey is leave home, you know, take some time to really reflect on yourself, meet some challenges, come back a better person. Um, so that was a big piece of just unlocking it in terms of getting really narrow in on values. The best work I've done is called the essential self work with a lady named Kate Bednarski. And I think her website is five steppingstones.com. And she, I think back probably 30 years ago started, she, I think she was a vice president at Walmart or something like that, you know, in marketing and suddenly was mentoring, you know, 25 people and said, Hey, look, I like the mentoring more than I like my job. And so her career took a different path and she started figuring out how do we get to who you really are and who your best self is. So she has a series of exercises and, you know, each one seems basic, but they're very useful. One would be, you know, you ask uh, six of your uh, six people who've known you a long time to describe you in five words each. And what you find is there's an incredible consistency to it. Hmm. Right. Rather than resisting that, you realize that that is who you are. And you need to live that way. Right. So mine included things like being funny. Right. I mean, obviously, you can tell I'm hilarious. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that humor piece was something that I enjoyed, but always had a strange relationship with it. But now I make sure that I bring a certain playfulness to things. So so that would be one example of who you are. And then there are some values exercises. Kate gives you 96 different values and you have to force rank them. Right. And you're making trade-offs between things like loyalty and kindness, right? And when you're actually faced with that, it, it gets to the essence of what you prioritize. And so that was really useful. And then there's several other steps she takes you through. So that was that was more valuable recently, I think, after I'd kind of woken up. But it's an incredible exercise. I highly recommend that. And there are other lighter versions of it. There's a lady named, um, I forget her name, Danielle Laporte, who wrote a book about uh, – creating these power words that you include around you. That's another version of this where you're just kind of saying, hey, what lights me up and trying to consolidate it? Because the more tangible you can make that, you know, if you can have if you can have what lights you up on a post-it note at your desk, it's going to be pretty hard for you to stray from that. If it's a vague notion that's not clarified, I do think it's a little bit harder to follow. Got it. I appreciate that. So so you did the work. You, you, yes. Did it, and continuing to do the work. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 never done, right? Yes. So, and now you're you're doing all this different kind of work. You're 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 in all these different industries, and um, I, I I suppose it doesn't necessarily matter what the industry is, or, or perhaps it does, but how how you decide to spend your time. I, 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 I guess I'm curious about that as well. How, how, how do you evaluate opportunities? Um, yeah. yeah you, so 
would you talk about is the question more like an investment opportunity? How would I value an investment opportunity, like a real estate opportunity, or how I evaluate in the morning how I'm going to spend my time? If 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 they're different, or yes, both all. <laughs> okay. Well, well, let's start with how to evaluate how to spend my time. So, look, it's sometimes it's brutally obvious. So right now I'm helping the lab at the University of California source some desperately needed medical supplies for COVID testing. Okay, so to make a long story short, because of where places were shut down, <laughs> uh, certain medical supplies required for testing, and we all agree we need a ton of coronavirus testing, uh, certain of those supplies are, are just gone worldwide. They're just in really, really tight supply. And to add to that, governments are making it really hard for those supplies to leave their country. Yeah. So I am helping that lab deal with getting these testing supplies. And I can't think of anything more urgent or important than that. So when it's a decision between, you know, uh, should I spend a little time on this real estate opportunity or should I try to find a way to get the amount of testing in California doubled in the next week? Because that has this huge impact on so many levels in terms of tracing the virus, et cetera. You know, you've got a lab with 200 people that can process 2,500 tests a day, and they're processing 200 tests a day because they're short. So that's a very obvious example. Um, you know, so often it's obvious would be my first comment. My second comment is, you know, I think I really check in every day. I've, I've done a lot of work trying to figure out processes for identifying kind of what my priorities are. So I do check in every morning. I have a process for doing that. Uh, after I've done some mindfulness work, a little bit of journaling, hopefully a little bit of exercising, I take a look at the various goals I have. And then I take a look at what I would call my, my tasks to achieve those goals. And then it's a balance of, hey, what what matches my actual energy of that day, right? If If the task requires me, you know, racing up and down at high energy and I'm feeling a little beat up because, you know, my coffee didn't taste good that morning, that would dictate how I would go about that day. So hopefully that gives a little light on that on that first question. Yes. Okay. Um, as far as investments, look, I, I've learned a lot about a bunch of things that don't fit me <laughs> because I have a lot of energy and early on in my real estate investing career, which really is something that just happened upon me, I kind of got lucky and lucked into a, a big real estate portfolio because we bought land in Texas right as the fracking boom started. So suddenly land that you know I bought for pennies was worth dollars. And what was supposed to just be a little side investment became a full business. So we lucked slash happened into real estate and I didn't know what was a fit. I just taken an opportunity and we got really lucky. Um, I would say the way I evaluate it now is I know that I don't have a lot of spare time. So I evaluate things that play to my strength, which is deal evaluation, but then don't require ongoing work. Um, again, it's a question of how it matches your strengths. I think that there are some amazing residential real estate investors, people who can go in, they can look at a house, they can, you know, you know, add a little elbow grease and make these things beautiful for a fraction of uh, the cost of the value they add. That's absolutely not me. I tried that. It was a disaster. <laughs> so, um, and I can tell you, I'm terrible at residential real estate investing. It's just not a good fit for me. So 
commercial real estate, you know, I like dealing with with businesses. They have certain ways of making decisions that work for me, but it's really a question of a what's a fit for you, and I think b more importantly, what what is the opportunity? And I think the main thing I've seen people do wrong is they don't look at enough opportunities. So they'll look at three homes, pick the best one, right? And my answer is you should look at 300 homes because it's so easy to screen at the top of the funnel. So what I found is people spend all this time down funnel on the decision, but not at the top. So if you can jam, you know, a thousand opportunities in the top and just screen 980 of them, you're already at the best 2% of deals before you spend any time. So that's something that I focus a lot on is how do I really just crank the top of the funnel? So I have a whole network of brokers and you know websites and just contacts of people who are constantly bringing deals to me. Um, and I can say no to a deal usually in under seven seconds. Um, <laughs> about 95% of deals go away within the first seven seconds. Uh, How's that? Um, I just, you know, I've just done enough that I kind of know what works and doesn't work. Okay has to be really obvious. Like I just, I think I don't want headaches right now. Uh, and it's just, you know, the age I'm at and the number of things I have going on and the priorities I have. I don't want things that are gonna be a real pain. And look, there's a wonderful business in buying, you know, a warehouse that needs, you know, investment in it and walls put in. And I just don't have interest in doing that anymore. You know, I've been there, I've done that. You can make money doing it, but I really want to do deals that I evaluate up front, whether it's a, most most recently these triple net deals where you, they're just long leases. I'm not going to have to renegotiate leases for a while and really, just really try to find special triple net deals. I don't know if that's a term that's familiar to your people, but that's a big focus of mine right now. Nice. I love it. Well, Chris, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? My number one tip is to have a process or a set of processes in your life for learning because there's so many blocks that we have for learning. So find out how it is that you learn and improve as a person and do that and just be very mindful of all the defenses we have, whether that's ego, you know, not wanting to admit you're wrong, whether it's listening to people you shouldn't be listening to, or more importantly, often is not knowing yourself, what I call the ladder against the right against the wrong wall. So the number one thing you can do is work on your learning process. And if you work on that, all the other things fall into place. Once you can become better, a little bit better every day, uh, you're just going to become a better human. And so if you focus on that, I think everything else will just fall into place. Just follow who you are. Follow those great decisions. Keep, keep finding ways to make better decisions and learn more about yourself every day. And it's really hard to go wrong if you do that, George. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Sure. So my book is How to Stash That Cash. My website is upwarding.com, U-P-W-A-R-D-I-N-G.com. I am best known for my weekly newsletter. It goes out most weeks on Friday mornings, and it's a 90-second read of all the best ideas in investing, mindfulness, and just life every week. So that's that's what I'm best known for. So you can sign up for that on my website. But in the meantime, uh, it's been a real pleasure. And so find me anyway. Facebook doesn't matter to me, but looking forward to hearing from everybody. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Chris your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to upwarding.com. 
pick up a copy of How to Stash That Cash, the Ultimate Liquidity Portfolio, and sign up for Chris's weekly newsletter as well. And I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.